Hello, welcome back to the Pulpit Pew Podcast and this week's adult Bible study as we continue our journey through the book of 1 John. We are in chapter 4 for the second week, picking up in verse number 7 with a theme that John has covered twice already, but he's he's so passionate about it. He's going to go down. He's going to he's going to bring it up again for the third time. And he's going to give us some wonderful verses, some verses that you hear often. If you're in church, you hear sometimes preachers will just quote them and you don't you're, you may not know where they come from when they come from this text. Some wonderful verses. And so we are going to dive into that this week. Also, we just want to remind you about the newsletter. I encourage you to sign up. Go to bradmcclure.org, O-R-G, bradmcclure.org. Go to the Join the Pulpit Pew Crew newsletter and uh, get signed up and get a weekly, free weekly newsletter that will always keep you up to date on what's going on the podcast and will also give you an encouraging thought each week. So, Anyways, without further ado, here is this week's adult Bible study on 1 John. All right, let's go to 1 John chapter 4 is where we are. 1 John chapter 4, and we are in, we're going to talk about a subject that John has already talked about twice. But you guys know how it is. If you've had kids, have you ever said something to your kids and you, you said it once and you know they're kids, so they're not going to get it? And so then you remind them a second time, maybe 30 seconds later, hey, remember, you need to brush your teeth before you go. Then you wait a few minutes, and then that third time you say, hey, remember, and they're like, I know, Dad, I know, Dad, brush my teeth. Now remember, brush your teeth, and they still forget, or they still don't do it. But we, we, we understand the idea of repetition. Well, John is the apostle of love, the disciple of love. He's called in the Gospel of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he was known as a man of love. Some say, this is his story, this is not biblical, but it goes in line with the biblical, but when I was reading this, the historic part of this, some say that John, as he got older, even beyond this, even though he's very old when he wrote this, that he would, he would kind of stagger around the best he could and just say, love one another, love one another, love one another. And it all would tie back to that upper room in John chapter 13 when he heard Jesus say, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. And he was a disciple about love. He sensed the love of, of Jesus. He talked about that in his gospel. He talks about that here. And he wanted to emphasize as the last apostle, and he wanted to emphasize to this next generation that we need to love one another. And so, look at chapter 4, verse 7, and he starts with that command. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. He starts there. It's the third time he said it. You can, you can obviously tell that the teaching of Jesus that I just quoted from John 13 had an impact on his life. I, I still think that that was kind of a shocking thing to him, especially reflecting back over and over the years and to think that he had just washed their feet and they are sinners that he just had dinner with Judas, and now looking back, Judas was the one that betrayed him. And even in the midst of all of that, he still said, love? Love even that one that betrayed you and you washed his feet? I think that whole scene just impacted his life for the remaining part of his life. I think he could just could not get that out of his mind. And as he wrote his last few epistles here, First and Second and Third John, he just emphasized it and emphasized it that you've got to love one another. And he says, beloved, let us love one another. And then he, he talks about in the first couple of verses, the 
Willie could say the personification of love, or where does this love come from? He says, for love is of God. So true love, not junior high love, not what kids think is love, true, actual, agape, biblical love flows from God. Somebody asked Brian a question in his class a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the topic of love, and now we're on it again. They said, can as someone who's not a Christian have this type of love? And the answer you're going to see in this, today's text is no. Now, can they love? Sure. There's different types of love. There's the eros love, which is just pure lust. It's what we use the word love, and it's eros, E-R-O-S, and it's just pure lust. It's not true love. It's just lust. That's what you would maybe say for the junior high kid that says, oh, I just love Susie. Oh, I just love Susie. And then the next week you pick him up on the bus. Oh, I love Natalie. Boy, Natalie is the one. And the next week it's someone else. It's just arrows. They're just going through those emotions and those desires. As they're, and, they, and they think they love everybody. And they have no idea what love is. And then there's phileo, which is a brotherly love, where you have a love for someone, but it's not necessarily going to be sacrificing. It's not necessarily going to... I love you, and it's not. There's nothing wrong with this type of love, but it's not as it's not agape love. Agape love is the sacrificial giving of yourself for the benefit of others without any selfish thought of return. And so you you you. It's a it's a love that if you think about in Galatians chapter number five, it says the fruit of the spirit is love. So the it's the fruit or it's the result of the spirit of God in your life. And so if a Christian or non Christian they don't have the Holy Spirit. So if they don't have the Holy Spirit, they don't have this love produced in them. Now, can non-Christians do some pretty sacrificial things at times? Yeah, I think about the only illustration I can really think of, though there's maybe some others, is our military men and women. But it's still a different and deeper type of love. This love, he says, love is of God. It flows from God. And then watching everyone that loveth, it's this Greek word agape love, is born of God and knoweth God. And so so someone that is truly born again, you're a child of God, you have agape love abiding in you. Now you may still live in the Eros love. There's some Christians that still just live in lust land. Sadly. You may have the phileo love, nothing wrong with that. You may have brotherly love towards someone else. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But Christians ought to show the fruit of the Spirit, agape, love. Uh, I should, let's just, let's just take a second here. I think it's worth doing. Hold your spot right here. I'm going to mark mine. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13 real quick. Anytime you hear the term 1 Corinthians 13, that ought to just, you ought to just think love. All right, 1 Corinthians 13, you ought to just think love. This is the love chapter. It's talking about agape, love. He'll use in the first few verses the word charity, same Greek word, agape, translated different. And then he gets into what love is. But let's just, let's just, for the sake of today's study, let's get a picture of what God says this agape love is. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, agape love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have all the gifts of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and I have not charity, agape love, I am nothing. Now, I don't want to take a long time to teach this whole passage, but 
he's talking about some gifts of prophecy that they had back then and, and, and faith. We all think faith is a good thing. We all think preaching or that type of back then was a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. All of that's good. But he said, if you have all of that, but you lack agape love, you're nothing. And he says in verse three, and, and though I bestow all my goods. So if you want to give everything to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, sacrifice, and I have not charity, agape love, it profit, profiteth me nothing. It's nothing. Love has to be at the root of everything. And this agape love that we receive from God, that comes from God. And he says in verse 4, he begins to describe what is love. So charity, love, agape love, suffereth long. It endures. He go, it's, it's willing to suffer through the most difficult of circumstances. It's kind. It's not hateful. I'm just doing it fast. I'm not going to teach these words, but but just think through it, just to get it in your mind. It's so it endures long. It's it's kind. It's it envieth not. It doesn't get jealous. It's not vaunting itself. It's not puffed up. It's not full of pride. It's not talking only about itself. It does not behave itself unseemingly. It's not going to. This goes into that eros love, the opposite one, which does behave itself unseemingly, but it doesn't do that. It, it seeketh not her own. It's not selfish selfishness is the opposite of agape love if you, I always ask this question when I'm teaching on the fruit of the spirit what's the opposite of love and there's always somebody that says hate hate is not the opposite of love the opposite of true agape love is selfishness because agape love is everything but selfishness it is totally putting yourself in oblivion it's no, you're nowhere you're putting that person first that's true love and so he says here true love seeketh not her own is not easily provoked so this is if you ever want to go back and study on love and just for your own marriage just start breaking down this passage start seeing am i selfish do i get easily provoked do i think evil do i get jealous do i brag about myself or is it about me and not about them it's a convicting passage it says rejoiceth not iniquity but rejoiceth in truth beareth all things Believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. So that's just a, a quick passage and a quick review of a little bit about what the Bible says is this love that flows from your relationship with God. It, it, the source of this is God because God is love. I read where one person said this this week. They said, you know, God is love. So God doesn't fall in love because he is love. God doesn't fall out of love because he is love. Just like water doesn't become wet, it just is wet. God doesn't become love, he is love. He's always been love. And so, so for those, and we're going to get to this later on in this passage, but for those that think, well, does God, does God love me? God, does, God is love. That's all he knows is to love you. But what's interesting, and I, let me just wait to get to that interesting part. I'm going to make a mental note. Hopefully I can come back to that to make the comparison that I say God is love. And, and we're going to transition to that right now because look at verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So if you do not have this agape type of love, if you don't have it at all, you may not be born again. may not be a child of God, but you're definitely not in fellowship with God. Because if, you're, if we are not living in this agape love, we're not in fellowship with God. Because that's the type of love he says. And that knoweth is a fellowship term that we've been talking about throughout this text. But then 
So 7 and 8, he's kind of saying, here is love. It's God. It, it flows from him. It's expected in us. But then how did God manifest it to us? In verse 9, he says, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Now, who's the we in there? Okay, that's us, right? But we like to think pretty good about ourselves. And so we're like, well, yeah, I'm probably worth dying for. I mean, look, I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. So, of course, I'm worth dying for. No, no, no. Remember what, what it says in Romans 5, 8, that we, were, we are enemies with him. And that even in spite of being his enemies, the verse is just not clicking in my head right now for some reason. But in spite of us being enemies, he still died for us on the cross. And, and the only way that I can ever think to compare this, and I've done it before and many times, and I want to do it just quickly, is if you think about the most, the wicked, vile person that our whole world would agree on. I mean, we have used to say Osama bin Laden, because of what he had done to our twin tires, and everybody looked at him as bad. And I don't think there was too many unless you were a Muslim extremist that looked at this guy as good. But imagine that when he, he got his death sentence from our Navy SEALs, but uh, imagine if he was on trial and, and someone said, hey, I'll just take his punishment, I'll take his place. That would be somewhat of an equivalent to us. I know we like to think pretty good about ourselves, but we were enemies, absolute enemies to the holiness of God. That's what's so amazing, I was going to say a minute ago, about God who is love. That's all he is. He's just love, but God also is justice. So some people would say, well, why, if God is love, why don't he just like wave a wand and everybody just gets to go to heaven? Well, because not only is God love, but he's also just. So God, there has to be punishment for sin. He, he wouldn't be loving if he just let everything go truly because he'd be going against his nature of justice. It would violate everything. So there had to be a way, and the only way was Jesus. And it said that he, he, get, he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. He says, herein is love. This is love. Not that we loved God. No, we were his enemies. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word. We heard that in week two, I think. Does anybody remember what propitiation means? I'm sure you used it this week, right? Everybody used that word? It's the satisfaction of wrath propitiation, the satisfaction of wrath. So God had a wrath toward mankind. He loved mankind. He is love. But mankind had sinned with Adam and Eve. And because of that, we're all sinners. We're born in our sin and we live it up. We are sinners. And so God, there's a, the, the justice of God, the, the, that nature of him and the holiness of God said, I can't allow that to heaven. You guys know this. This is the gospel. I cannot allow that to heaven. I cannot condone sin. I love them, but I'm just. I cannot condone sin. I have to discipline them. I have to condemn them. And so there's a place called hell that I did not make for them. I made it for Satan and his angels that rebelled before the beginning, while they were in heaven. That's what it was made for. But because mankind chose to sin and because mankind is against, I must be just and holy and condemn them. But I love them. And so as we know, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. The only one that could satisfy the wrath of God, his propitiation, 
and show the love of God. It is on the cross that the wrath of God and the love of God meet. And we see his wrath poured out on Jesus. That was due for me. But we also see his love for me as well. That's why it's so special about the cross. That's why we sing about it. That's why we talk about it. It was the moment when the holiness and the justice of God met the love of God on the cross. All poured out on Jesus for us. So he's the propitiation of our sins. It says, beloved, if God so loved us. If he was willing to do that for us, then we ought to love. We ought also to love one another. There is saleness again. But if that's the type of love that he has for us, the truly sacrificing love that he is going to give his only begotten son, then you and I ought to have that love for others. Now, here's where it gets practical. And we can say, oh, you know what, I think I can, I can love others like that. And you look around in this class and you think, yeah, you know what? I think I can love Jacob Chu like that. He's a good guy. So, Jacob, if you need something, you know what? You can just call on me. I, I, I think I could have that type of love towards you. But now, what about when somebody in that your workplace that really annoys you, that, real, that, that got you in trouble at work, that talks bad about you behind your back and you know it, what about when that person needs something? Do we go out of our way to say, hey, how can I help you? Like we would for Jacob Chu? Or do we say, I'm not helping them. They talk bad about me behind my back. I know what they say. I don't care what happens to them. Let, them. let them get fired. I don't care. Is that the love of Christ in us? See, this is when it all gets practical. This is when it gets kind of quiet in here. It's already a little bit quiet, but this is when it gets real quiet. Because it's easy to love those that are lovely. It's... I shouldn't say it's easy because you know what? Sometimes probably my wife has a hard time loving me and there's a few times that I, nah, it's easy loving her. But sometimes we know about those that we're closest to, but especially those that do us wrong. I mean, why would we want to show the love of Christ to them? But that's exactly what agape love does. It's, it's willing to sacrifice to help others without selfish thought of return. There's even times we struggle with that in our marriage because there may be times when I'm like, you know what, if I just do this for Shell, then maybe she'll do this in return. So I may get some cookies out of this. That's what I learned from my dad. You know, if I do this job here, maybe she'll see the hard work and the sweat and everything put into it and she'll think, you know what, what can I do for him? And so I'm doing something good, seemingly loving with a selfish thought of return. That's, that's, not, that's not God love. It's probably good that I'm doing it, but it's not agape love. You see, agape love is not selfish at all. It says, I'm doing this because, because, because I love you. And so what if I needed to do something for Michelle and she was showing absolutely nothing? Maybe I was getting darts all day, and this doesn't happen to be the other way probably, but maybe I was getting darts all day, and maybe it was... But, true a marriage this is why marriages struggle so often is because we are only willing to show love when you're showing love to us and so what happens is it's a it's a circle if you picture this circle and, and as long as as long as you're showing me respect i'll show you love you show me respect i'll show you love you stop showing me respect i stop showing you love well there's a problem here because of the Bible's got the indication that even if you never get respect, you just keep showing love. 
And even if you never feel loved, you just keep showing respect. And that's true agape love. You say, well, yeah, but they, they don't deserve it. They don't, hold on. We don't, we, as Christians, we don't do things because someone deserves it. We do things because God is love. And from God, the Holy Spirit tells me to love. That doesn't feel good, though. My pride absolutely hates it. My pride hates it. This whole point I hate, to be honest with you. Because I kind of, I, I, I'm stubborn by nature. I get it from this guy that you'll see standing up and behind the piano in a little bit, but I'm kind of stubborn by nature. So I'm very good at, listen, if you want to be a certain way, I will just remove myself from the equation and I'll never talk to you again. So if someone at work, when I go to work and if someone just wants to be a certain personality that I don't like, you know what I do? I just don't ever go around them. I don't ever talk to them. And I may even kind of cold shoulder them sometimes. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, Hey, Brad, is that the love of Christ? And I want to say, Shh, quiet. Leave me alone. But that's what God does. See, he says, Jesus manifested this love. And he says at the end of that, he says, So, beloved, if God loved us, we ought. There's the word ought. It means it's something we should do, but we choose sometimes not to. We ought also to love one another. Then, then watch this. No man has seen God at any time. Nobody in this room has seen God at any time. No one at your workplace has seen God. No one in your family has seen God physically at any time. He says, if we love one another, God dwelleth, that's the word abides, in us. And his love is perfected in us. The word perfected means it's completed, it hits its aim, it's matured in us. And so, you know what he's kind of getting at at this verse? Nobody's ever seen God. But when you live out agape love, that's the closest they're going to see God. So others, through your love, can see Jesus Christ. We went to Thursday to see these guys at Good News. Uh, we, we, we were talked about this too. We wanted to show them the love of Christ. We wanted to befriend them. We wanted to try to talk to them. We wanted them to see um, that we cared for them and not in a fake way. We genuinely wanted to get to know them and try to talk to them and wanted them to see Christ in us the best we could. And, and so we tried to, because it's for some that may be the closest they ever see Jesus Christ. And so you got to try to, well, even at church, when you see them, they're going to act up and do different things. It doesn't matter that we're, we're trying to see them. When their lives get changed and they receive the gospel, that can change everything. And so we have a few weeks to do this, but we've got to show them the love of Christ. But I, what, I, what I'm afraid of is many Christians, we just don't, others don't see the love of Christ in us. They don't see it. They see a complainer. They see a whiner. They see lack of faith. And then we wonder, why is our world the way it is? And we want to blame this political party or blame this political party or, or blame uh, this decision in our, in our whatever's going on with our course. You know, and I think there's a part maybe in all of that, but a lot of it to me, as the verse says in 1 Timothy, is we've got to start it in the church. As a church, we've got to look at our own lives. And I have a doctorate in being critical. So I can, I have my master's in Bible, but I think I have a doctorate in being critical. So I can be critical of anybody. Man, I, you could walk out of this room and I could find something to make fun of you about really quick. It just comes. I'm gifted in that area for some reason, that sinful area. 
So we can be critical of everybody, but the one I need to be the most critical about is my own self, my own life. And I think for you the same, because it's not the other political party that's destroying our country, though somewhat, okay? Okay, they have a part in it, maybe. But what's really killing our country is we as Christians are not Christ like we need to be. We're not showing Christ. And so we got to start there. And, and and as one person said, we want to start there. Someone talked about the, and I'm trying not to get too political, but I'm thankful for the Roe versus Wade thing. And someone said, now we may there may be millions of babies saved, but if we as Christians save physically, but now if we as Christians just sit around and do nothing, those children will eventually one day die and spend eternity in hell. So I'm thankful that we are sparing the lives and no longer, or in some countries, it goes back to the states, excuse me, some states that were saying that's illegal, but we still have to evangelize those children. We have to reach those children. A lot of churches are just not reaching children and don't care, and we're getting very, because our world is getting so crazy, and it is, it is really crazy. I'm concerned for my kids growing up in this world. I am, but it is getting so crazy that it's easy to become, to just want to become a kind of, is it recluse? Just to kind of pull away from everybody and say, it's just me, my dog, maybe my spouse, and we're just going to figure this out. We're just going to bunker down and survive. But I tell you, there's going to be a lot, there's a next generation that needs people to show the love of Christ, that needs people to, to be Jesus Christ in their life and, and to show this love and to share the gospel. So, hey, I'm rejoicing over the decision that was made in our country somewhat recently, but we still have to evangelize those children in the future or else we're going to be in a mess. So, so he says, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected or it's matured in us. You can, and hereby know we that we dwell in him. How do you know if you're abiding in him and he abides in us? Because he hath given us of his spirit. He, if you have the Holy Spirit, then you know that you are in Jesus Christ, your child of God. Just like Romans says, if you don't have the spirit, you're not his. So if you have the spirit, you know, you know you're his. And how do I know I'm abiding in that? Well, you're allowing the spirit of God to lead in your life. And one of those areas specifically being talked about here is showing the love of Christ, agape love. Now I want to keep moving. Verse 14, he says, he says, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. That's, that's the key to salvation, is understanding who Jesus is, receiving that by faith. And we have known and believed the love of God hath toward to us God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him he's just that word dwelleth is the word abide from John 15 so he's just emphasizing if you're in fellowship if you're abiding in Christ like my illustration before of being plugged into that plug in there if you're abiding in Christ you're going to just show this love and when I'm not abiding in Christ when I'm living in my flesh I don't show that type of love but when we walk with him and abide in him we will and then he says, verse 17, herein is our love made perfect. So here's how our love is not made perfect in the sense of your perfect, but it's matured. How are we to mature to the place that we may have boldness in the day of judgment? Now we do realize there's a day of judgment coming, right? There's two judgments. The judgment seat of Christ for us as Christians. And there's a great white throne judgment for those that are not Christians. 
But we don't have to fear judgment because of the love of Christ. That's what he's going to tell us here. He says in verse 18, there is no fear in love. So right after talking about this judgment, he says, there's no fear though in love. If you truly understand the love of God and his love for you, then you don't have to have fear. But perfect love or a mature love casteth out fear. And so what I've found is the more the, the, the more mature a Christian becomes, the more you grow in your faith and learn about the love of God and his love for you, and the more you understand that, the more fear begins to fade away. So in counseling, one of the things, if you have someone that's very fearful, though you will do this for other reasons, but for the one that's very fearful, the greatest counsel you can give them is get to know the love of God even more. And they may say, what? Well, because when you have, it says in this verse, a perfected love, a mature love, when you understand the love of God for you, fear is cast out. You don't have to live in fear when you understand how much God loves you and that he cares for you, and that he wants to protect you. He's your, he's your child. So perfect love casts out fear. And we talked about scaring our kids last night a little bit and, uh, and, our, and our nephew when he was there. It's funny, when we were gone, they were really scared. But when we were in that room, they felt safe. Why? Well, because Michelle's really tough. All right, that's one reason. But they, our presence brought the, it cast out that fear. Well, when you truly understand love, they knew, at least in their mind, they may not articulate it, but they knew if there really was a bad guy outside there hitting that window, which was just me, but uh, if they, they knew that dad and shell are going to do whatever they can to protect us now i would probably be running and screaming like a girl to be honest with you but they didn't know that they think that because dad loves me he's going to protect me he's in this room well the same thing happens spiritually when you and i we don't have to fear some of the things in life and what's going to help us get over fears is understanding the presence and the love of god in our lives but those of us, and in my life too, when we struggle with fear all the time, it's often because we struggle understanding the love of God and His presence. doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It's that part about dwelling in Him. It's abiding in the fellowship. When I'm abiding in fellowship and have a true understanding and trust the love of God that He has for me, it casts out fear because fear hath torment. And it does. Boy, when you just live in fear, it torments your life. He that feareth is not made perfect or complete or mature in love. It's, it's, a, it's a love problem. It's not, it just means that we've got to mature more. We've got to grow more as a Christian and understand the love of Christ and the, his love for us. And it says in verse 19 then, we love him because he first loved us. You'll hear people quote that verse. That's where it is right there. A little quick verse. Why do we love God? Because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So here it is, John for the third time. For the third time he's saying, hey, church, Christians, second generation, love one another. Love one another. Love one another. God is love. Love one another. God is love. Love one another. He's just emphasizing love. And I don't think it's a bad thing to emphasize, but it's kind of like when you and I look at our kids and say, hey, remember to brush your teeth. 
Hey guys, what did I tell you? Brush your teeth. One more time, remember? Brush your teeth. Why? Because it's important. John is just saying, as he's coming to the very end of his life, he's just saying, guys, it's so important to love one another. And I really do believe, and you can, we can ask him when we get to heaven. Say, John, why did you emphasize that so much? Outside of him saying, well, the Holy Spirit told me to. It's in the Bible. But outside of that, I think he's going to go back to John 13. He said, well, because we were sitting there and Judas was with us. And Jesus washed his enemy's feet. And then he told us, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. You're a follower of Jesus. If you have a love one for another. And then he went to the cross. And they beat him. And I watched it. And he suffered and he died for those that were sinners. And he died for me. He died for Peter who betrayed him three times. I'm sure he's going to say that. And he did all of this because he loved us. And so what else could I talk about other than love, the love of God, and how we need to have that same love to other people? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this lesson from John that we're looking at.